Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, where we make the old school young again. I am your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and joining me this evening is the host and dungeon master for Catacombs and Comedians. Uh, he is also a player in the, uh, the D&D campaign that I play in every other week. That's how he and I got to know each other, so ladies and gentlemen, Boneheads alike, please welcome Dan Taylor. Dan, welcome to Rolling Bones. Ah, uh, pleasure to be here, Ryan. Thank you so much. Oh, no problem at all. It's uh, it's it's great to get to know you, and also to have you on the show to talk about what I think is a really interesting uh, iteration of an actual play. It interesting is a good choice of words for it. <laughs> it's definitely anything but uh, mundane or boring. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So before we get into that, uh, we do have tradition here on Rolling Bones. I got to ask you the introductory questions that everyone gets asked every time they come on the show. So to begin at the beginning, how did you get into role playing games in general? Way, way back. We're talking 79, maybe. Um, my best friend's older brother, I think I was about nine years old at the time. Uh, maybe it's 77. And, uh, his older brother played D and D, and it looked it just looked neat. Um, I think that's about the time I had seen the Hobbit animated TV show mm-hmm. um, way back in the day, and I remember going to a comic book shop and buying the little white box with the three little tan booklets inside of it, and not understanding a damn thing about it. I had no idea why. Sometimes they called them hit dice, and sometimes they called them hit points. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, it was, I've been playing on and off for going on 45 years now or so. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. So in the time that you've been playing, uh, if you had to pick a favorite game uh, that you played in that time or a favorite game now, uh, just however you would evaluate a favorite RPG, what would that be for you? It would be Dungeons and Dragons. Um, just... I've been along the road for all the different editions. Really cut my teeth mostly with Advanced Dungeons and Dragons when I was 12 to 14 or so. Mm-hmm. And um, second edition, I don't remember being all that much different than first edition. And I mean, I remember, I'm all about the Thacko <laughs> way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then probably took a break after that. Then third edition came along and jumped heavy on that. And that was about, what, 20 years ago? Um, third edition started, and um, I don't know if really pl- did much of 3.5. Fourth edition, I bought the core books, but didn't have anybody to play with. And, you know, whenever a new edition comes out, fifth edition, I picked it up. And again, I didn't play a whole lot at the time until I'm originally from California, born and raised Orange County, Southern California. And after, f- what, 50... One years there, I moved out here to Tennessee in the Nashville area, and um, it was easy to find games. People actually play D&D out here. So I've been playing a lot more Dungeons & Dragons since I've been out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's an interesting thing that I've discovered about Nashville, because uh, I'm also not from Nashville. I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina, originally, and... On the surface, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of gaming going on in Nashville, but if you just go down a couple layers, none of them are connected to each other, but there's a lot of people in this town who are playing D&D on a regular basis. 
I agree. And I think a lot of that may have to deal with, you know, the pandemic, you know, a lot of people had to stay home and, you know, D&D seemed to soar once that happened. And, you know, and, you know, of course, the success of Critical Role and other actual play streams. Um, it's, you know, it's a tough world right now. And I think D&D provides, it's a much different game. D&D 5th edition is a much different game than it was, say, with Advanced Dungeons and Dragons in the late 70s, early 80s. And it's a way different world now, too. And I think it um, it provides good escapism without hiding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's something that a lot of people are discovering now that they are, you know, it, a lot of people haven't thought about D&D or, you know, knew what it was, but were like, eh, I don't know that, the, you know, dragons and stuff, that's not really for me. But when they actually sit down and play it, they discover that it's something super fun. And I think it took that kind of push of fifth edition for for as much as bad as I've said about uh, kind of the the modern gaming culture or, you know, things about the modern gaming culture that don't necessarily speak to me. Uh, the the popularity of it did get some people to try something that they otherwise would not have tried. And that is cool, especially if they were like, okay, yeah, this is for me. Let's keep doing this. I think especially with fifth edition now is you can play it any way you want. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you. There are, you know, I would maybe the majority of people who play it now, I definitely, from what I see from a lot of these um, actual play live streams and stuff like that is not me. It might not be my kind of game. You know, but I'm also not an old school gatekeeper type of guy where it has to be Thacko, you know, and you only, you know, druids can't change into owlbears. You know, if the DM permits it, I'm all, I'm all for it. Um, but I think that's what I like about fifth edition is you can play any kind of Dungeons and Dragons you want. And, you know, I think that's something they may have tried in fourth edition, but didn't pull it off. But I think in fifth edition, it definitely is, you know, hit the nail on the head. Mm. Absolutely. Now, people who, you know, have played this for a long time and, uh, you know, dedicate a good amount of their free time to playing these games and running these games for people and doing events like you do, we, you know, we like what we like about the game and we tend to run things in a certain way. So if you had to describe your style as a player and then your style or your preferred type of game to run as a GM, how would you describe those? I'm big theater of the mind both ways. Gotcha. Um, I'm very much, I'm a storyteller, but I don't like storyteller games. I love tabletop games, but I cannot stand board games. Um, So Dungeons Dragons, the way I played as a player, well, the way I played as a DM is, you know, I've written screenplays, I've written comic books, I've been an editor, I've handled lines like Star Trek and Transformers and all sorts of things like that. And I love world creation. I love world building. And I love, you know, plotting stories and plot points and stuff like that. So that's what D&D as a dungeon master provides for me. So I, I probably overplan too much. And, but I'm also a very lazy dungeon master. Mm-hmm. So I like creating my own homebrews instead of trying to memorize the whole history of Forgotten Realms. And as a player, I just like to have a good time. Um, you know, if we're playing with miniatures during combat, that's great. You know, if we're just sitting around with, uh, I mean, you've seen me at the at the table. I'm the only I'm the old guy there with the, who still has paper, pen and paper, character yep. sheet. While you all are on your laptop, your fancy laptops and tablets and <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so, um, hard habits, you know, or habits die hard. Mm-hmm. So. I like it loose. I like the game loose. I like the DM loose. I like to play loose. I'm not a rules lawyer. I'm not, I like the fluff more than the crunch. And that goes both aspects, but you can have too much fluff. So you're, you're going to hit too much crunch for me more than any, more often than too much fluff, but you can definitely have too much fluff as well. Mm-hmm. I like a good, easy balance. Yeah. I, I tend to find myself kind of being the same way. Um, one thing I will say is we, 
the place where I encounter too much fluff is anytime someone in the party says, let's go shopping. Oh, or let's flirt with the bar, the innkeeper or the barkeeper. Yeah. T- 10 times out of 10, let's go shopping. I'm just like, oh, geez, this is what we're doing the whole time, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I just shut down at that point and wait till they get, you know, done. Yeah. If I don't find out an adventure, I don't need it. The DM doesn't need me to have it. So right. that's my thought on that. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And and to me, it's absurd if someone's like, I'm looking for a magical sword. And I've been the like early on when I was playing, I was the guy who was like, I need a magical sword. Let me go see if a shop has one. I didn't even think, why would a shop have a magic sword? Yeah, it's well, that's kind of I guess that's kind of the World of Warcraft mm-hmm. mentality there is you can you know go to the auction house and find somebody trying to unload that plus one sword that they already have. Mm hmm enough of but yeah i think magic items should be quest items and all that sort of i i'm the kind of player who will generally play a rogue or a fighter or a barbarian because spells are too much homework um (laughs) rogues are simple fighters are simple just i'm I'm there to absorb the story and make tweaks to it as i can Uh, however in the game that we're playing in, you are actually playing a wizard this time yes i am playing a wizard and but that there's a reason is mm-hmm. since I've now technically since I've collected three paychecks for it a professional dungeon master and that's not a brag I'm as surprised as anybody else on that. Um, I just need to learn the game more mm-hmm. since I've you know always avoided spellcasters as a player. I'm going to have players that are spellcasters, so I just need to you know need to know what I'm doing and how they work. So I picked the hardest. I picked a, I picked a wizard. You know, hmm. I got spell books and all that. That's uh, that. That's homework. More homework than any other, other than maybe a cleric and remembering all the theology stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. So, this is a question that a lot of people find difficult to answer because, again, you you put enough time and energy and years into this hobby, you have some good memories tied in with role playing. So. If you had to pick a fondest RPG memory, what would that be for you? Early days when we first played, um, what was it? The module B1 or the border keep, whatever, back in the day. Mm-hmm. Keep um, on the borderlands. Yeah. And some, but we had a huge piece of graph paper that somebody did the dungeon geomorph on that was the size of a pool table because we made it in scale to use miniatures. Mm-hmm. And it was just paper. It was just drawn on there. And it was on, you know, on my buddy Ron's garage floor. And we spent an entire summer reusing that map over and over again. Not the same adventure. Somebody, okay, who's DMing today? You are. Okay. And then, but this is the map we're using. And we just played that. And that's, we played that game over and over and over again for, I don't know how long. And then in high school, I remember freshman uh, English honors. I had the assignment of having to learn, memorize uh, Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice, the quality of mercy is not strained, dropping from the heaven like a gentle rain. But that's pretty much all I could remember at the time. And this was pass or fail. Yep. You get an A if you get it, F if you don't get the whole thing. I couldn't do it. My teacher was like, how can you play Dungeons and Dragons and know all those rules and not memorize this one little Shakespeare monologue? And I go, <laughs> I can't. That's why my backpack right there is full of the books. And she just went, all right, you get a C. <laughs> moved on <laughs> oh that it, it, I think anyone who's sufficiently nerdy has had that moment of okay you know everything there is to know about uh, you know DC Comics WCW the the rules to Dungeons and Dragons, you know, pick pick whatever it is that you have nerded out over in your life. How do you know all of that, but you don't know, uh, you know, just like for me, it was my times tables. My mom was like, you you know, every single word to every Toby Keith song, but you don't know your times tables. And I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know the hit dice of every class in D&D, but I couldn't tell you my wife's phone number. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting what our brains choose to retain. And that's why I'm glad D&D is there, you know, uh, depending on all the other stuff. I, you know, I don't, 
I know how I know where to put gas in my car, and I know how to change the oil, and I can change a flat. But I'm not a car guy. I'm a I'm a D and D guy. Hmm. Absolutely. And now this uh, last introductory question before we dig into some uh, specifics here. I'll tell you, the answer can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. But Dan, if you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? If I have put stuff on t-shirts before, and um, put anything on a t-shirt, I've put so much on a t-shirt already, but probably, and I have them coming, and they're on, they're ordered right now is the catacombs and comedians laughing die logo. <laughs> and I will have those at self at the next catacombs and comedians show. <laughs> nice. We'll be the one at Zany's here in, uh, in just a few weeks. Uh, yeah. August 23rd Zany's comedy club. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, cool. Now, uh, moving past our introductory questions here and getting into some specifics. Um, Let's, I mean, let's start with Catacombs and Comedians. How did you come up with the idea of doing an actual play in front of a live audience with comedians as your players? I've always, I've always had a fondness. I mean, as much as I love Dragons and Dungeons and Dragons my entire life, I, I, another fondness of mine has been stand-up comedy. Not doing it, not performing it, but I love... Um, the scenes of stand-up comics. I've worked, when I lived in Southern California, I worked at a comedy club, one of the improvisations for over 10 years in various degrees. So I got to know comics. Um, and, you know, I always thought, you know, it'd be so fun. These, these, these are the guys that would be fun to play Dungeons and Dragons with. And I never did it back then. Um, I never asked any of the players. I mean, I remember when Patton Oswalt was a feature comic for somebody else mm-hmm. headlining. Um, but now my wife works in the comedy industry. I know the owners of the Zanies comedy club through that. And I comfortable enough to where I just emailed one of the owners saying, Hey, how about a live Dungeons and Dragons show at Zanies? And he emailed me back. That sounds interesting. I'm not familiar with that. You'll have to educate me. And I said, Fine. Let's get together and have lunch, and I'll tell you all about it. And I was getting ready to tell him how popular Critical Role is, and there's a and d movie, and how the, you know, that, you know, practically saved Hasbro, mm-hmm. and getting all this speech ready, and then he ghosted me for months. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is weird. I guess he's not keen on the idea. So I, it was just last December, I was at the a Christmas party for the club, Zany's Comedy Club, and I go talk, and he calls me over, and we start talking. And we talk for half an hour, and I keep waiting for him to bring it up. And he doesn't. So I just finally go, so what did you think of my Dungeons & Dragons idea? And he goes, that was you? Oh, I didn't know that was you. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's do it. Whatever you need, do it. Talk to Lucy. Get it, get it booked. <laughs> Done. That was it. I think so. I think it was guilt mm-hmm. is how I managed to pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> and... From then on, I just asked, you know, the person who books the comedy club, who, which comics do they know? Put out the word. I'm looking for comics that want to play D&D. And this will be our third show at Zany's, August 23rd. Buy your tickets now, zanies.com. And uh, since then, I've done the show once at Huntsville, Alabama at Stand Up Live. Mm-hmm. And there's talk of maybe taking it to Birmingham. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting idea and I I say this as someone who has done some stand-up comedy. It, it's been a while since I did it and I only did it for about a year. I'd like to start doing it again at some point, but you know, time is what it is. Um to be a successful stand-up comedian, you have to be really quick on your feet. And you have to be able to improvise. And that also makes for a very good D&D player. So the idea of combining those two worlds, it, it's not unheard of. I, I can't remember who it is, but I think it was Nerd Poker. There were a couple comedians who were on that show. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian Posehn and... Yeah. Yeah. But... 
you know, doing it in front of a live audience, that that's another step uh, that, that I think makes it even better. Um, again, I said I'm a lazy DM. <laughs> and so doing it in a live audience, I've got an hour and a half. So yeah. I don't need to plan these Matt Mercer, you know, three, four hour long sessions because I got to get it going and get out of there. Well, you know, when the, when the cock, when the servers drop their checks, I'm like, okay, we got to wrap this up. Mm-hmm. When they give me the light, I'm like, Hey, got to wrap this up. So that element works for me there. And also I've got the other, I've got the other four bodies up there. Sometimes five, we'll have a guest player mm-hmm. and they do most of the heavy lifting. I just basically put them in a weird situation and tell them to roll initiative when I need to. And, you know, and if they go through it too fast, I just, and two more zombies show up, you know, and whatever, you know, and I just try to make it things interesting and fun for them to react off and let them riff off of each other. Cause I mean, honestly, the audience is there to, like you say, to see how comics play D and D more than just to watch another actual play show. Right. Hmm. Now, as far as uh, like picking your participants, were you looking for people who were already into D&D or was kind of the point of this to get comedians who didn't know what they were doing and, and put them in, in this kind of weird circumstance? I took the first four that said yes. Gotcha. Um, maybe I should have had a more rigorous uh, uh, tryout or audition mode, um, but it's a, it's a very interesting group I play with. And in, in um, Zanies, I've got one player, Allison, who plays once a month with her improv group. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she has a book. She has a, you know, she has a player's handbook. I've got Kanan who played, he played in college. And he remembers, he's pretty good at, he, he knows the game better than anyone else probably. I have Tanner who has not read one fucking rule yet. <laughs> And he's proud of it. And he won't. And then I've got Chance, who Dad used to play. So he's familiar with the Succubus illustration from the original Monster Manual back in the day. <laughs> and that was pretty much the extent of his D&D experience going in. So a lot of the comedy is in these players navigating the rules. Like one game, Tanner goes, can, yeah, can I use Insight? And I said... You can if you can explain insight to me. He couldn't. He didn't know what it was. Um, you know, he's the players, you know, okay, everybody roll initiative. You know, they pick up an eight-sided dice. With this, no, the D20, you know. <laughs> so it's it's kind of like somebody said it's like hurting kittens. Yep. And it very much so is in a way. And so my role is the exasperated DM. And I've learned from the first game to that I've done three now between Nashville and Huntsville. Don't overplan. Just Set up an adventure, goes A, B, C, and then keep D in your pocket in case it go in case you need it. And uh, they're not there to listen to the lore. They're not trying to solve the world, you know, great quest to save Middle Earth. They're just there to get their one line j- jokes in and their etc. Mm-hmm. And 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 I want to. And the goal is to make it fun so the audience can participate in a way where they can help guide the players on stage. Like if somebody doesn't, you know, if Allison doesn't remember to use her rage as a barbarian, audience members will shout it out to her, you know, and then I will flip, uh, like I got one here, an inspiration token to the audience member and say, tell your DM I said you can use that in your game instead of giving it to, you know, Allison for for using her rage at the appropriate moment. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you know of any DMs that have honored the uh, the inspiration token given to uh, to random? Audience I have members? no idea. I would hope. I I would hope you know someone would. That's kind of a ballsy move to show up at somebody else's table. Look, another DM gave it to me. Well, I got to go buy a ticket to tell this DM off, and that's that's my whole plan. Yep. It's kind of like the whole uh, back in the day when people would take their characters from one campaign to the next and be like, "I got this magic sword in my other campaign," and the Everyone else would be like, we don't have magic swords. What the hell are you doing here with that? That's the one thing that gets me with... I've never been able to do that with d and I'm, I'm very much a campaign guy. This character's in that world. This character's in that world. And I've been at D&D events or whatever. Or somebody's 
okay, here's my character. She's so-and-so, so-and-so, and does this and this and all this backstory. And I'm like, you got a pre-rolled rogue for me to play? You know, and I'll just take that and turn it into something for that for that game. Mm. But I love the enthusiasm and the creativity. Don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing on it. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It just, again, fifth edition allows so many different ways to play the game. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to, you know, the, the people who end up seeing the show, are you noticing that the audience is mostly made up of people who know D&D or is it people who don't necessarily know the game, but are, are there for the curiosity factor of what are these, what are these people going to do in this situation? Generally it's half the crowd knows D and D well, the other half was dragged by those, the first half. <laughs> and there's two or three couples that wandered in off the street on a first date who made a horrible mistake <laughs> and have no idea what's going on. And so it's good. I mean, every show we ask, okay, who here has played D&D before? Round of applause. Okay, who hasn't? Okay. And who has no idea what D&D is like at all? And then there's, you know, one hand, you know, one per- lonely girl over there with her boyfriend. And I'm like, I am so sorry. You're going to have a horrible <laughs> evening. Here's a bag of dice. Welcome to the club. Uh, <laughs> so I love, I'm, and I've heard, you know, comments. I've read comments. I've heard people after the show tell me, it's been so long since I played D&D. I came to see the show. Now I want to play D&D again. And that makes me happier than, you know, getting a paycheck to, to do it. It's, you know, people are, if people are enjoying the game and loving it and it's, you know, and creating an enthusiasm for the hobby, I'm all for it. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and for anyone out there who is considering uh, any, really any kind of comedy, anything for a first date, um, don't. No, and don't sit so close to the stage where they can see you like I did. Uh, yeah, and, and that was that was a show in Huntsville, and it got kind of raunchy too. The poor girl. <laughs> we had a purple worm in that game, so you know, yeah. it's, we we did not go easy on her. I sure I'm sure her boyfriend got an earful on the drive home. There are certain monsters that uh, I imagine if you take comedians who don't know D&D or even comedians who do know D&D and you just have that name out there. Yes. My Huntsville comedians know the game very well. Mm-hmm. They've all played before. They play <laughs> regularly. And so it's a whole different vibe. Um, and which I love, I've got two different, it's like having two sets of kids, you know, uh, and I got, I got my one set of Nashville kids and I got my one set of Huntsville kids and it's, Two different games, and I like seeing where they take me. Mm-hmm. Just uh, heaven forbid either group get their hands on a rod of lordly might. Our orbs of dragon kind. <laughs> and I and trust me, I bait these players all mm-hmm. the time. Um, since I, I it's comedy, so since we're in the south, I try to make fun of some of the south stuff. Like instead of Cracker Barrel restaurants, I have the Cock and Barrel restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, I. You know, I, like in Huntsville, I threw a purple worm at them. And the zombies also, they're, instead of being called the, the plague, it's called the taint. So the <laughs> word taint was used. If it was a drinking game and they had the audience had to drink every time the word taint was said, paramedics <laughs> would have been called to the club. Yep. We just ran with it. Viscous was used a lot too that night. So you put those two words together and it just makes for a horrible, yeah. horrible, but hilarious evening. Absolutely. Absolutely. And everyone out there who's who's listening to this, you imagine what it's like at your table, and then just imagine it's professionals instead of uh, instead of you and your friends. And right, it's not a bunch of puns like at the table you play with your friends. These are stand-up comics who aren't doing the regular sets, so they're still trying to top one another by getting the best one-liner out there. Mm-hmm. And if whoever says the funniest thing again, I'll flip them an inspiration. <laughs> You know, so they're working, they're working, they're working hard. Mm-hmm. Is, is making the DM laugh grounds for inspiration, uh, just kind of as a general rule? Uh, it's got to be a good laugh. Yeah. Not a, not a sympathetic laugh. I, I gotta, you gotta generally knock me off my socks. Cause like I said, I've been around comedy forever yeah. and I've been around for D and D longer. So I, and I'm a dad, so I know all the puns. I know all the jokes. And if you 
come up with something good or if the crowd reacts really well to it, you know, you get, you get, a, you get inspiration. Absolutely. Yeah. The, and I have not been to one of these shows yet, uh, but this, August 23rd. Yeah. I, <laughs> it, it's one of you those things be. that I, I want to like clear my schedule for at some point to, to come out and, and see uh, this show because it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. It's like the, the people lining up to talk to me after the show have been very encouraging um, just this stuff, how much they've loved the show, what they've seen dang. And of course, you know, there are armchair DMs out there who will tell me that, you know, I did the fireball. I let them cast the fireball spell wrong, or I let, you know, this so-and-so should have been done like this, or why didn't the player do that? And I'm like, it's, you know, I say at the beginning, we got an hour and a half. We, if you're a hardcore Dungeons and Dragons, crunchy lawyer, Player, you're going to probably hate tonight. But if you just understand that D&D is a game for fun, you know, you're going to have fun. And I would assume that most everybody has fun. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, switching gears here a little bit, because we are in the same gaming group, um, I do have to ask, how did you end up getting involved, uh, you know, gaming with, uh, with our DM uh, Stu Cook and uh, you know hanging out with that group because I'm I just found them on the internet but I I want to hear how you got uh, mixed up with them before I contribute my side of the story. Much like you, um, in fact, a friend of mine who lives in in uh, Franklin saw who I just moved out here. I'd been here maybe a month or so, and they said, "Hey, I saw a post on Reddit. There, someone's looking for a Dungeons and Dragons player." And I answered it because I'm like, I'm a new in town. I know nobody. Um, you know, let's do it a try. And uh, I met Stu, you know, in that pre-interview. I don't know if he did it with you. Yep. Um, on neutral ground to make sure you're not a weirdo. <laughs> yep. And, um, yeah, I passed the test. And I started playing with that group. And we played for uh, maybe six months or so. And then, the you know, the plague hit. We had the uh, COVID hit, so we tried to play online, and that's just not my jam. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I'm I'm the I'm the guy with the pen and paper on a clipboard, so I dropped out. But you know, I, it was always fun playing with Stu, and I love his his style and his dedication to the game. And um, I saw again on Facebook he was looking for players again for a new game, and I said, "Hey, you got room for me?" And he said, Dan, you are always welcome at my table. So, and it happened to work out because I play with another group every other Saturday. Mm-hmm. So I play every Saturday, but nice. it's two different groups. And um, yeah, much to the chagrin of my wife. But <laughs> it's, hey, it's it's part of my job now, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it was really easy to step in and... Uh, you know, play with Stu this time. Cause I know, and I, I'm going to be honest with you, the character I made knowing how Stu DMs, I made him a certain way <laughs> just so I can, you know, be better prepared. Cause last time I was a halfling barbarian mm-hmm. and I was the most experienced player there. And I was leading the group when I, my player shouldn't have been leading the group. And, you know, and I'm not taking leadership role in this one. Cause I don't like that kind of thing, but I'm going to, Oh, I know what kind of game he plays. So I'm going to, choose a, a wizard you know with a lot of evocation spells and you know because i know there's going to be a lot of mystery and, and all that sort of stuff and he hasn't he hasn't proved us wrong on that yet hmm. yeah it's again just like you said i i found it in a reddit post my wife actually showed it to me because i was looking for a gaming group as well and uh you know d- didn't really know what to expect and the, the character that I'm playing in this campaign is a paladin because I've always wanted to play a paladin and someone always chooses the paladin before I get to it. Uh, so this time I was just like, I'm being a paladin this time. And the concept that I came up with was basically, what if Vlad the Impaler didn't impale people? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's why I talk with that accent. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I've 
um, you know, my character's last name is Grumble Maker, so I just grumble a lot. Yeah. I'm an old man, and that's perfect for a dwarf. And I love the fact that fifth edition, I can finally play a dwarf wizard. Back mm -hmm. in AD&D, I couldn't. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I could have, but you, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's something that's interesting now going back to like old school games or even retro clones like I like to play now. Uh, in in games like Dungeon Crawl Classics, for all the good uh, things that I have to say about DCC, it, it is a little bit weird that if you're playing a dwarf, you're playing a dwarf. That's your class as well as your race, and you're basically a fighter. There's not an option to be like a dwarven cleric or a dwarven uh, wizard at all. Uh, and it, it makes for an interesting time, but having come into the game with 5th edition, it's it's a weird kind of uh, culture shock for me seeing that. Yeah, I I mean, I cut my teeth on that sort of stuff with the original D&D. And I'm going to, I got to tell you, I don't miss it. And I'm not the kind of guy who's, you know, I still got my advanced Dungeons and Dragons player's handbook, DM's guided monster manual, but I think I got rid of everything else. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have any second edition, third edition, 3.5 or fourth edition books anymore. Because when, when a new edition came out, I generally eBayed the old edition and started new with the new one. Mm -hmm. um, thinking this is going to be it. Let's say on August 18th, they announce, you know, Wizards announces that they're going to have, you know, sixth edition. I'll be there for that probably. And all this, I'll, I'll eBay the shit out of all my fifth edition maybe. I don't, because I just don't have the room. And well, not now that I own a house, I'm never moving again. So I may just keep them this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it. that's a whole nother subject there, and, you know, a lot of gamers are notorious pack rats, and so I think the, the idea that you just let your books go uh, at the close of an edition, I think there are people out there listening who just gasped audibly, so. Uh, it helps and, me, help, yeah, helps me buy the new books. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know that I could let go like that unless I got the book and I was just like, oh, yeah, this is good. I'm going to keep going with this uh, because my fear is I'm going to sell all my 5e stuff, buy 6e, and uh, 6e is just not good. Right, and I completely get that, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not edition shaming anyone. Right. I'm just not a fan of the edition wars, and, you know, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll play whatever comes out. I mean... I'm looking around. I mean, I got some old stuff here, but you know, I'm looking at my. Sorry, I'm looking at my shelves. Like I've got, you know, but I've got like the latest edition of Shadowrun. I don't think I've ever bought it. I mean, I ever played it, but I bought it just to have it on my shelf because mm -hmm. um, I remember the game fondly when it first came out. Uh, I got, you know, I got, I got Pathfinder. And second edition, I'm like, okay, hey, I'm gonna jump on Pathfinder second edition now. I never played it. D and D's D and D's my game, and I'll just move along with each edition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's that is something that I will agree with you on as far as the edition war. Uh, and I have proudly proclaimed myself uh, an an old school gamer, even though I was not alive when old school gaming was a thing. Uh, but to me, old school is a state of mind. It's something you can do with almost any game. It's just a dedication to uh, the idea that your characters are not super powered. They're people. And it's going to be a challenge up until the point where it's no longer a challenge. It's, it's going to be something where you constantly have to push and fight for every inch. And you're probably going to die at some point. That, to me, is old school, and you can do that with almost any system. You might have to change some things. It's probably not the best way to play Powered by the Apocalypse or something like that, but it's something that can be brought into almost any game you play. And so, to me, uh, old school is an attitude or a state of mind that you bring with you. And so, you know, people who want to play 4E or 5E or... Uh, 3.5 or God help them Pathfinder uh, you know play the game that you like the rule set that you like uh, but you know that 
the the way that I like to approach any game that I play is with kind of that uh, old school role playing mentality. I'm kind of the same way. I'm I mean I'm old school in the sense that especially with games I like Dungeon Master and even the way I play them, I don't expect to have those magic items all the time. I don't expect, you know, and I keep to the core. I keep generally, I keep to the core player handbook races. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm playing a dwarf and I'm playing a wizard. Those are both from, you know, way back in the day, not playable back in the day, but I'm the guy who will play a rogue human. And, and among all the tiefling bards, don't yep. get me started on tiefling bards. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are two ways to play old school and tiefling bards there yeah. case closed. Yep. Yeah. That's the, the crazy out there race options that have made their way into gaming. Uh, you know, if, if people want to use that stuff, I'm, I'm glad it's out there for them, but I remember watching a Ginny D video where she was talking about this book that I think was called An Elf and an Orc Had a Little Baby about right, mixing two that. races together. And what she came up with was a tiefling centaur. And the entire time I was just watching in horror, like, but why? Why do you need to do this? What? What's the point? One of the things... I, I made a specific specific decision with Catacombs and Comedians when the players asked, what can we make? I said, if it's in the player's handbook, mm-hmm. you can make it. That is it. What about this thing I saw over here? No, 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 no. Go back <laughs> to the player's handbook. Just look at the player's handbook. But I saw this really cool bird guy. No, 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 no. Player's handbook. That's it. Mm-hmm. Baby steps. It's my job as a dungeon master to make them playing a human fighter exciting. It's not their job to make their human fighter exciting. It's my job to make it exciting for their human fighter. Mm-hmm. And hopefully I pull it off. Not that we have any human fighters, but... It's also... With a lot of those characters, the interesting thing about them is I did something crazy. I combined a bunch of things together to make this monstrosity. And nine times out of ten, what happens with those characters is after three sessions... If the DM allows for such things, they'll want to switch characters. And if not, then they'll be looking for every opportunity for that character to die. Because they've already had their fun with it. They had the shock value of, look at all these weird zany things I can do just by nature of my existence. And then they're like, I I don't know what to do with this now. Yeah, um, that's uh, one of the reasons why I like long-running campaigns, because... You know, you're going to want to, you've done so much work with one character, you're not going to try to kill him off because you're bored and want to move on to something else. And if you start at the beginning with saying, these are the guy, these were staying in this lane, this is what you're playing. And, you know, and everybody agrees with it at the point out, it's all good. But if you're looking to make, you know, that crazy half elf demon that has an owl, a miniature owl bear as a pet. Because it's cute. And again, I'm not bashing anybody. Play however you want to play and make the game fun. Mm-hmm. That's just not my style. And so I, I'm not going to say I'm more old school. I say maybe I'm just more traditionalist. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. But I am old. So look at me. <laughs> you're, you're wizened. We'll, we'll put it that way. All right. <laughs> you, you are, you're not old. You're wise. Uh, we use we use the the D and D speak for old. Now you mentioned something about you know putting parameters on the catacombs and comedians groups, saying only the player's handbook, and I think you you've hit on a really interesting point there, and something that I actually learned the hard way myself. When you have people who are entirely unfamiliar or, in the case of one of your comedians, unwilling to become familiar with the material, and you look at everything that, you know, late stage 5e as it is now has to offer, there is so much to choose from that a lot of new players just don't know where to go. So I I think it is... Uh, it may seem harsh at the beginning, but I think it does behoove any dungeon master trying to teach new players how to play to say, look, for the time being, stick to what's in this one book. 
Yes, I full on agree, a hundred percent. Yes, it would. You know that one. You know, fae snake person with the butterfly wings looks awesome and pretty, and you know you got someone who can draw, you know, anime style and make that character look really good. But you got to tell me, you know, you got to know how many D4 a basic cure light wound spell cast or what, what you need to roll for initiative before you should be able to play. And again, that sounds like I'm gatekeeping, but it's better for the players. I'm just not, not for my enjoyment of the game, just for their enjoyment of the game. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that, again, I, I had a player come to the table who had done a lot of reading online and was like, I want to do this, you know, complicated thing that I found, uh, you know, doing research online. And I was just like, I mean, we can try it. But ultimately what happened was they didn't stick with the game very long because they didn't understand so much of what they'd kind of set up around their character and because it came from online and it was just a, you know, mishmash of assorted random things from some published material and some unearthed arcana, I didn't know what it was. I was just like, what? Well, right. I should have yeah. I should have told you not to do this. Yeah, my players not to do this. My players only have access that we use D&D Beyond and they only have access to the three core rule books. Mm -hmm. And to make a character, it's only the, you know, player's handbook. And I say, if they say, hey, I really want to do this, I say, well, then you got to write up why you want to do it. I make them do their homework. Write up why you want to do it. And if it gives me a heart on I'll let you do it in my story. But, you know, it's got to be good. Yeah. Because I'm putting, let's put it this way. I, I want them to love their characters. Mm -hmm. God, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm gatekeeping. I, I, I'm not. But I'm putting in a lot of effort for this overall story. They're putting overall effort in their character. I got to make sure their character, you know, intertwines and works well with not only my world, but the other characters as well. So you got to look out for all the players. And I think it's easier for an experienced player. Well, I don't, that's, this is a rabbit hole. We can go down forever. Let's just, I, I like my player's handbook characters. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, I mean, there there is this fear of gatekeeping when we talk about this, and to an extent, I mean, yeah, it is kind of gatekeeping, but it's not like you can't come in. It's, hey, come on in, but before you just dart down an alleyway, let me show you, like, where the bathrooms are. Let me, uh, you know, show you where you can get a bite to eat or something. You know, you know, I want you to be able to explore this whole thing in here, but, you know... Let you me, you are you are welcome in my house. Just please remove your shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Remove your shoes and, and mind the vase that's sitting right there next to the door. Right. <laughs> so yeah. But again, if you find the group and you, you play however you want and you're having a ball, you're playing D D right. If you're having fun, you're playing right. Oh yeah. That's that's the extent of it. Hmm. Yeah, and that's Again, that's something that this isn't something that novice DMs have trouble with because they have trouble with everything. It's it's the same as being a new player, but DMs who have uh, enough experience to be dangerous, I'll put it that way. When you have experience running a game and now you're starting to introduce people to the games, uh, you know the the way that you were taught, it does behoove you to you know put those training wheels on or, you know, put some limitations on and say, Hey, you know, let's, let's try it this way before we get crazy. And I know like there's a lot of hesitancy out there to, to do that because again, people think that you're trying to spoil their fun. Uh, and we've been on this topic for a long time, but I think we stumbled on something that's actually very important for people to understand about this game is it's not, wrong to start funneling people into the game to you know start narrow and then broaden um the hardest thing for, i think for a dm to learn rather than keeping track of initiative is just to say no yeah no we're not going to do it that way mm -hmm. and, you know i think in the end um, the dm's not always right but you know the dm needs to know how to say no mm -hmm. and that's why i say no to tiefling bards yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you should always say no to tiefling bards. Yes. 
But in addition to Catacombs and Comedians and the game that we play in every other Saturday, you also now have a zine on Kickstarter. So tell us a little bit about what you've got going on with uh, with that particular project. Yeah, it's, you know, this zine quest came out. Usually they're held in February, but Kickstarter decided to do it this month during Gen Con for some reason. And I just thought it was a good opportunity the artist that I have drawing these monsters that I'm using in Catacomb and Comedians, his name is Steve Musgrave, and I just love his artwork. And I just want it's I can't really show it up on stage. You know, I can't hold it up. Here, here, everybody. And I mean, I try, you know, I post them all up and I say, look at your phones, look at our Instagram account. You'll see what this, you know, dire trash panda looks like or the foul bear, foul boar looks like. And so what I'm doing with the zine is it's just sort of a mini monster manual. Uh, so that's why I used alliteration in the title called the oddity off print. And it's very much zine format, eight and a half by five and a half inches, you know, but I'm having all color artwork because it's, this artwork is gorgeous and it's just stapled together, little zine, little mini monster manual of monsters featured in the catacombs and comedians game. And we're going to have, originally it was going to be five monsters, but I just added a stretch goal, adding a six monster. And I think we've got, the burnt him are the hot chicken from the village of Nash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we have the, the dire trash pandas um, that I used in the Huntsville game. The foul boar, which, you know, everybody. Okay, there's two, the two most popular things, three most popular things in D&D. Tiefling bards, mind flares, and owl bears. <laughs> I think yeah. that describes that. Those are the three things that describe D&D 5e the best. Hmm. And again, I'm not knocking it. I love D&D 5e. Um, but I wanted to take the owlbear and turn it on its ear. And so I came up with the foul boar, which is part turkey, part boar, giant boar. <laughs> and it's just an absolute mess of a monster. And then we've also got the taint, the tainted zombies. Mm-hmm. Just so I could have comedians say the word taint as many times as I can on stage. And I didn't go with murder hobos. I went with homicidal hobos that have a Emmett Kelly clown look. And the bindle sack over the on the stick type mm-hmm. of thing working, and a nasty sword, and then um, I think we added the dragonado, which <laughs> is a dragon that uses a tornado as a breath weapon, as our stretch goal monster. That's... Again, they're all poking fun of things in the in the south, as well as you know tropes from D anD. d and they're all done in a fun, cartoony thing, and I've given them outrageous. The reskinned monsters with outrageous, I throw in outrageous abilities, and you know, but I make them work. They work in the game. I mean, if you throw foul bear, foul boar in your game, it will work. So, <laughs> and it's you. It's going to have stat blocks and lore and all that sort of stuff. And it's just a little zine of monsters that if you've seen the catacombs and comedian show or you've listened to the podcast versions of the live show you can use them in your game now you've got me thinking about other uh nashville themed monsters that could potentially haunt uh players tables the pothole golem comes to mind i like that i like that and mind you i'm gonna steal everything anything i like um (laughs) and then another fun thing like I've got my gelatinish cube type creature or my green slime type creature, which I haven't introduced yet. It's called the Rawful, and it's spelled R O F L, rolling on the floor laughing. Yep. And it's just this big gurgly ball of goo that makes a giggling noise as it rolls. Um, so you know, got that in there. I've got some. I got a, like a little uh, brownie type creature called the Knee Slapper, which just attacks your knees, yeah. and you know, makes you you know, it'll reduce your you know, movement. So it's fun stuff like that. Instead of a unicorn, I got an octocorn, which has eight horns. Mm-hmm. And he kind of looks like Sid Vicious with the punk rock thing. Um, yeah, so it's, I just throw an idea, like I'll say, Steve, give me something like this. And he draws me a picture and I go, I love it. Maybe change the color of this. And then I've stat it up depending on what he draws. And so when you can find a collaborator like that, it just helps, you know, 
helps make D&D more fun. And again, I love world I love world building and I love creating and I love telling stories. So this is a favorite part of Dungeons and Dragons for me. Hmm. And so we've got this little Kickstarter and we've still got like 18 days to do it. And I know we're 67% funded. Uh, hasn't been getting as much hits as, but again, I'm, you know, zines are for the old, you know, old school D&D games or the Mork Borg type stuff. Hmm. Um, this is just, you know, I just want to get it out there and, you know, get more eyes and try to, I'm using it as much as a promotional tool to get spread the word of catacombs and comedians as I am using it to give my artists some, you know, scratch money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, as far as like a promotional item goes, I think it's a pretty cool idea because there are, there will be people who back it, uh, you know, who, who haven't seen the show and they'll see like the Nashville stuff and they'll be like, that's pretty funny. What is this thing? And, and then be like, oh, this is going on and it's local. Let's, uh, you know, let's go see it. Right. As you, um, like if on the, on the Kickstarter page for it, there's a video of that somebody took during the second show, which I introduced the foul bore and it has me describing, I'm reading the, my description of the foul bore to my players, much to their horror of what they're going to face. And mind you, again, these things are like two owl bears, but they were on a barge in the middle of a river so they couldn't run away and, uh, all hell broke loose. And then, you know, and then I threw tentacles out of the river at them and all sorts of fun stuff. So that's, that's the fun thing about DMing this group. They never know what I'm, it's, it's like a, Scooby-Doo episode on acid every time. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a question that just occurred to me. Um, and this might be something that you agonize over because, like you said, you, you've you been a fan of comedy for a very long time. But if you could run a Catacombs and Comedians for, let's keep it to four comedians, uh, and you can pull from any time period, living or dead, doesn't matter, but you could pick four comedians to do a uh, catacombs and comedian show with. Uh, who would those be? The obvious choices would be, and I'm not saying these are them, but the obvious choices would be Pat Oswalt because he plays, Brian Posehn because he plays, Stephen Colbert because he plays, uh, Robin Williams because he played. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would just out of the sheer fact that most of them would not know how to play it and the complete backwards um, catastrophe, but fun game it would be, it would be Burt Kreischer, <laughs> um, Brian Regan. Yep. Um, Dave Attell. And, hmm. Bobby Slayton. That, that, that would be fun. That'd be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, just to watch the agony and pain on Bobby Slayton's face as he's trying to play this. I don't even know if Bobby, I think Bobby Slayton's doing a residency in Vegas nowadays. But Burt Kreischer would be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um we had Aaron Weber guest as one of my players on the second game in Nashville. And he just toured with Bert and Aaron Weber had never played D and D before in his life. Never picked up a D 20 before that night. And he killed it. He was amazing. He brought so much to the game. He, Aaron's always welcome to my, welcome to my table, but it, that's the, that's the fun thing. I have a different group in Nashville, different group in Huntsville. Um, the thing is, if I do more clubs, there'll probably be a different group of local comedians, and there won't be headliners, but mm-hmm. down the road, let's say, you know, Bert's in town, and I can talk, somehow talk Bert into sitting down for a game, that would be fun to do. I think the, uh, of the group that you name there, the the silent killer would be Brian Regan, because yeah. he would... I think be very sincere in trying to actually play, but he's just, he's hilarious in a way that's hard to like quantify just the things that he picks up on in his comedy. He's, he's a master of the observational style. And the fact that he is totally clean. Yeah. Um, and I've known him from way back in the days when I worked at the clubs 
and he's always been a favorite. And if you talk to any stand-up comic, you know, we're talking big name stand-up comics, you know, you ask them who's who's the best out there, and they'll say, well, it's Brian Regan or Dave Attell, hmm. and they're totally different different realms of the spectrum. Yep. Now, I would not want to DM this. I would want to watch someone else try to to oh, rein yeah. this in. But I want to watch, or I want to be able to watch someone try to run a D&D game that Sam Kinison is a player in. Um, <laughs> I don't know how long that would last. <laughs> <laughs> and that's oh, why I, I don't so, want to run it. <laughs> I so much want to tell you my Sam Kinison story, but that'll, that'll have to be for another time. I'll tell you, I'll tell you Saturday. Gotcha. <laughs> it's not a, not a, not one for the podcast. Mm-hmm. And part of me thinks that George Carlin would be interesting, but Carlin, I think, would look at this and be like, oh, this is stupid. And yeah, I think he would over it. overthink it. Um, let's see. There's so, so many comics. I don't know. I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's... And, and you know, like you said, a lot of them, you know, they're quick on their feet. They think, you know, so... They, they make natural players, mm-hmm. and they make the game fun. Absolutely. And if they're into it, then that makes it all the more better. It, I guess if they're not into it, though, it makes it funny. So, you know, I, either way, you yeah. win with this. Yeah, I mean, like, I've got players of various uh, playing ability mm-hmm. or interest, and you can see on stage, and so I've got to play to their strengths and play, you know... And and I'm and I'm, to be honest with you, I poke fun at their weaknesses while I'm up oh, yeah. there too. You know, nobody gets off easy up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you, you can't not make fun of their weakness. It's you know they're comedians. Yeah, they get they they know the rules. They know the score here. Right, and like I said, they're all trying to one up each other, and it's fun. So, you know, we all come off we all come off the table and off the stage and. Everybody has a good time at the end, and they can't believe that they collect a paycheck for playing, sitting down and playing Dungeons and Dragons for an hour and a half. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, isn't that what we all want to do? All of us who do shows like this or watch shows like this, wouldn't it just be perfect for us to, uh, you know, after we finish a great session, go, oh, that was a great session, and then someone hand us a check for it? Hey, it took me 45 years, so it's not out of the realm of impossibility. I mean, it can it can happen. It just it was a long road, and hopefully, you know, hopefully we have enough people to keep coming to the shows that, you know, the clubs keep saying, "All right, we'll give you another week, or we'll give you another night. Mm-hmm. See you next month." Absolutely. And fingers crossed, we'll just keep people. Hopefully, people will keep enjoying it and, you know, having a fun time with what we have to offer. And so one more time, this uh, next show is at Zany's here in Nashville on August the 23rd. What time uh, does the show usually start? Show starts at 7.30? No, 7. 7. Doors open at 6. Um, and that's August 23rd. Tickets are on sale. And let me tell you this. Here in Nashville, if you buy tickets to this October 20, or August 23rd show, and the day after the show, up, for one, up to one week, if you take your proof of purchase for the tickets to the show to the game cave you get 25 percent off all dungeons and dragons products so got that going for you if you come to the show and then in september we'll be in huntsville and that's september 21st and that's a if anyone's listening down in that area the home of dnd beyond um as as well as space camp mm-hmm. that show is september 21st doors open at f- six 30 or so and shows at 730 something like that gotcha gotcha so two chances over the next couple months to uh to see this and you know there's going to be an october show as well right we're already planning the halloween special nice i'm planning on wrapping up season one if everything follow everything falls into place season one for both both of these campaigns will wrap up in november for a break over the holidays and we'll pick it back up after the first of the year awesome cool and and one of these days hopefully this month but if not this month then uh sometime uh before the season ends you might be able to catch me at one of these shows 
that would be great. I, I'd love, I had a, I play with another group on the other Saturdays when we're not playing on the same team, our same game. And, um, my DM from that game came and saw me. So I talk about nervous when your DM yeah. is watching you DM on yeah. stage and, 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 and to be completely honest, I have ne- my first time on stage was the first night I did this. So I've only been on stage three times and that's DMing comics. Hmm. So I'm glad I've got my Matt Mercer DM screen to hide behind. Absolutely. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how big the stage is or how many people are in the crowd. Uh, again, having done this before, uh, it's intimidating. The, mm-hmm. the lights on you, the, it, it doesn't matter if it's your first time, your 10th time, there's something intimidating about that process. And it's the, the first hurdle to overcome in performing in that manner is getting used to being in front of people for anyone out there who is thinking about potentially doing open mic comedy. Once you overcome that, then you can move on to the next hurdle. But, uh, you know, that that's the first one for so many people. Yeah, I want to throw up five minutes before every show. Hmm. So in addition to that, what else uh, do you want to push people towards? Obviously, the Kickstarter campaign is still going on. Where can people find you online and uh, and hear from you on a regular basis? Um, well, my best, I'm old, so I use Twitter. I can't understand the TikTok that kids are using nowadays. <laughs> so I'm at Dan Leon Taylor on Twitter. And then Catacomedians, Catacom- it's kind of a combination of catacombs and comedians together you can follow as well on twitter instagram Hmm. and there's a catacombs and comedians facebook page um and there's zero level media it's numeral zero lvl media that will be uh the streaming that's like the producing side of catacombs and comedians so that channel will have streaming uh catacombs and comedians games starting up soonish um, not the live shows from the club because that's a whole other issue. But and then you can also find Catacombs and Comedian podcast where you can hear the live shows that we do. Uh, and they're on all the major podcast providers like Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, etc. Cool. So yeah, you guys know where to go if you want to check this out. Again, uh, August twenty third at Zany's here in Nashville. Hopefully, I'll be there. But if not, then I'll be catching the one in October uh, here in Nashville. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. It was great, you know, talking to you and, and getting to hear a little bit more about, uh, you know, how this thing runs and some of the other stuff that you've been doing. So, you know, thanks for coming on and, and sharing your time with us here tonight. Oh, no, I appreciate it. Thanks. And now when we play next Saturday, you know, we can just slyly look at each other and wink and people won't know what's going on. Absolutely. The rest of our, the rest of our party will think we have something, go- you know, <laughs> something going on behind their backs. Mm-hmm. I'll give you, I'll give you a hand signal like this. That- <laughs> <laughs> there you go so guys that's gonna do it for rolling bones this week next week i finally gotten in touch with not just his people but his hair's people uh ben barsh is gonna be on rolling bones his dad bill is gonna be here as well they have a new kickstarter campaign that they have just recently launched uh so we'll be talking all about that it's the first time we've had a father-son duo on Rolling Bones, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Ben's a great guy, and Bill's a great guy. If you saw my appearance on This Old Dungeon with Lou Al Lou, uh, Bill was on there as well, and, you know, it, it's been a long time coming. I, I finally tracked you down, though, Ben. You can't run from me forever. I've got you next week. So until then, uh, whether you guys rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I will see you guys next time.